Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Words on Whiskey, episode 56. And that feels like a, a marathon in itself. And we'll be talking to somebody that is very familiar with marathons. And actually, if you, if you think of marathons, has been in the whiskey game a very long time, I'd say, from the, from the start of the revival, for sure. And I'm delighted to have on the show someone that has played a very prominent role, although not always at the forefront, but always there behind the scenes, playing a very vital role in helping develop uh, whiskey and Irish whiskey in particular. And uh, we're very grateful to him for that. So our special guest this uh, evening is Al Higgins. So let's bring Al in. Good evening, hey. Al. How are you? Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Launch it. I do have a drink somewhere. Yeah. I'll grab one in a while. So we're in an unusual situation that you're actually in Athens and I'm stuck here in Dublin. So yeah, the roles are reversed. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, yeah. You tell me it's lovely and warm there and you're enjoying the sunshine. It's warm. There's a beautiful sunset. Yeah. And watch the waves lap up on the beach, you know. Yeah, that's so nice. A hard life. I know you're in a nice part of Athens as well, which is great. Yeah, uh, to you're you're in the situation where you're not there necessarily for a holiday, and no. uh, we'll we'll touch on that later on. But look, thank you very much for being our guest. Uh, I've wanted to have you on for a while now, and uh, obviously we work closely enough together with the tastings that you do for Irish Whiskey Magazine, and great for those. And it's great to get expert opinion on tastings. And, and uh, yes, I suppose you've probably had more you probably had more uh, tastings than I've had hot dinners over the years. So. Yeah, it seems like my garage is just full of empty uh, tasting samples at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Wait to be recycled, yeah. I know that you started in Celtic Whiskey, what is it, over 10 years ago, is it? Yeah, well, 2003 when the shop first opened, yeah, so right, right from the See, start. For those that aren't familiar with Celtic Whiskey Shop, I, I mean, it, it is the prominent and most established whiskey store in the island of Ireland and has won many international awards as well. What was it like starting there from the very beginning? It was, it was kind of uh, ups and downs, really. Yeah, there are lots of kind of um, corners to turn. And uh, it was maybe just a little bit ahead of its time in, in Dublin. Um, I think Ali was obviously the main man behind it. And we worked together in Auckland's before that. And he, he started up the shop because he was like every major whiskey, every, every major city, sorry, in the world has a whiskey shop. But there's yes. not one in Dublin, and Ireland is kind of famous for Irish whiskey. Why isn't there a whiskey shop? So I was thinking, what was that primarily? But um, as the shop kind of got established, there were a few little sort of avenues that we took along the way, which we'll maybe talk about tonight on, on different sort of things. And um, yeah. then, uh, you know, at the end of the early 2000s, the recession hit, and that was pretty bad time. You know, that was really tough. And yeah. I would say the shop only just survived that. Um, so, yeah, uh, lots and lots of downs, um, exciting all the way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you started, uh, well, how did you get into the trade business in, in the start? I mean, were you uh, born in Dublin and raised in Dublin and had a drinks background or how did you get into the business? Well, I was uh, went to uni in, in Glasgow and then um, from there I kind of went around sort of jobs working in wine shops and things and um I kind of started doing the WSET courses and sort of really getting a sort of appreciation of wine. But there was a little shop I worked in Glasgow called Peckham and Rye that was a, a whiskey specialist. I, I still think about some of the whiskies that were on the shelf 
back back in the late nineties that were just incredible things that you you wouldn't see ever again. And um, <laughs> I wish it bought yeah. them all. But um, eventually, I moved over to to Dublin to work for Oddbins. And Ali actually interviewed me for that job in in Scotland, and I went over to to work in Oddbins in Dublin when Oddbins was a chain in in Ireland, and he was uh, Ali's regional manager there. And it was it really in, in those two shops in Peckham's in Glasgow and Oddbins in in Dublin that I, I kind of got into whiskey. Um, but I would say my knowledge didn't really start to happen until we actually started the Celtic Whiskey Shop, and that's where. Um, I, I sort of got to really appreciate the stuff, I suppose. I mean, what is it you find enticing about whiskey in particular? I, I know you have experience, well, a lot mm. of experience in, in lots of spirits, but what is it about whiskey that attracts you? It's probably the same as, as anyone where no whiskies are alike. You know, no two whiskies are the same. You can have single casks from a distillery that have been made exactly the same way. You can store it in the same place, in the same warehouse, and you taste two casts side by side, and they taste different. Uh, and you don't really get that in wine. You get, obviously, variations uh, yeah. between grapes and areas and regions with wine, but you don't get that um, huge change in sort of characteristics you, you get with whiskey. And so many different flavors as well, and we're only just really getting into how... Those flavors can come about, and especially with Irish whiskey, I think Irish whiskey has huge potential for flavor manipulation because we have less rules than Scottish yeah. single malt distillers do, where it comes to like mash fills and wood maturation. Uh, so yeah, um, that's why whiskey, <laughs> whiskey yeah. is the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from two thousand and three, when you when you joined Celtic Whiskey, I mean. Obviously, there were very few distilleries, three or four active distilleries in the country at that point. Uh, the store, I presume, yeah. just had the mainstay products. How have things evolved, both from a product point of view and a whiskey point of view, to the consumer behavior? How yeah. has that changed over the years? COVID aside. Well, the, the shop has grown. We had to add an extra two tiers of shelves to cope with all the new Irish whiskies around but at the start you'd have double facings of everything because there weren't enough whiskies to fill the shelves and you'd yeah. have an entire bay full of Kilbegan or Turcano and uh, if there was ever a supply issue or whatever you'd, you'd be freaking out because the, <laughs> the shelves were bare and you didn't have anything to put on them but now it's a question of how are we going to fit this new Irish whiskey on the shelf where is it going to go and uh, where does it fit in with everything else um so it's incredible, like to go from it was three distilleries at the time, and then everyone knows the story. Since then, you know it's it's exploded. Um, so it's been hugely exciting seeing it develop alongside the shop, really. And yeah. you mentioned customers there as well. That customers have, have developed as well. So um, people that uh, maybe were customers and just people appreciating whiskey. 10, 15 years ago are now working in the industry and they're yeah. professionals. Uh, and then you have this new, new generation of whiskey drinkers coming along where age doesn't matter, sexual orientation or your gender doesn't matter. And um, so many different people come to whiskey, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah, But it, it, I mean, it wasn't an instant hit, I suppose, when you started off in the store and you, you were directly on sales. Were you finding that you had to try and really convince people to go for Irish, given that you had so much 
and non-Irish stuff because yeah, I mean you do have a huge range of Scotch, <laughs> Japanese, and uh, bourbons. Yeah, anyone who's worked on the shop floor would come up with the same stories of, of customers who come in. And right from the start, one thing I know was that the Scandinavians would come in, were hugely knowledgeable about Scottish whiskey, and they wanted yeah. to explore Irish whiskey and really understand what was going on in Ireland. And uh, for, for a lot of them, uh, products like Connemara was a big hit because it was what they were used to drinking from Scotland, smoky uh, whiskies. Um, and a lot of European customers would come in back then looking for Irish single malt rather than pot still whiskey. Yeah. Um, getting the, the message across about pot still whiskey, um, which was called um, pure pot still back then, before it was renamed single pot still, um, that was a big challenge to get people to realize what pot still whiskey was. And even when you went to explain it, they wouldn't really understand that it's different, but at the same level as single malt, but it's made in a slightly different way. Um, so that, that was a real challenge. But now, like, people come in with so much knowledge about whiskey. It's incredible. Particularly, you know, Americans, Americans would come in asking for an Irish scotch. <laughs> All right, <laughs> every okay. day. Yeah. Yeah. And I would always get a good laugh, you know. Um, but now they, they know exactly what they want. They want, you know, limited edition red breasts or, you know, single cast powers and things like that. You know, they know exactly what they're looking for. Well, I mean, I think Celtic Whiskey Shop has, has played a very major role, significant role in actually promoting Irish whiskey and, and making it available. I, mean, I remember going in there just to probably wasn't their best customer, but I certainly went in, you know, not knowing a lot and coming out knowing a lot more than I did anyway. So, I mean, the staff there, all of them are really well trained. I think uh, that's one of the things that you hear yourselves yeah. really push for is the training that your staff get. How important is that? Yeah, and it's um, it's very important, but it, it's part of the job, really. And it's, it's down to the staff rather than anything else. Obviously, Ali is, is keen for everyone in the shop to learn as much as possible. But yeah. the people we take on to work in the shop are enthusiasts and they want to learn about whiskey. And you can see where on some of the journeys some of them have taken in, in sort of the whiskey world. You know, they've started off in the shop, learned about whiskey and moved on to some amazing things. But I think... Um, one thing that's maybe helped with that was pre-COVID times, at least we always had a whole bunch of whiskies available to taste, you know, and yeah. there'd be official ones on the barrel for customers who were just coming in. We could offer them a whiskey from the barrel. Other customers who happened to be expressing an interest in something else, you like, hang on a minute, I might have something here you can try. And yeah. uh I think you know getting getting to try whiskey before you buy it is is the best thing ever, you know. <laughs> because for a lot of people, it's a big investment. You know, some 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 of us we spend too much money on whiskey, but other people would only buy a bottle of whiskey every year or, or less than a year. You know, it's a big thing for them. So being able to try it is, is very important. Do you think or do you think Irish whiskey is competitively priced actually <laughs> in Ireland uh, uh, or elsewhere? That's yeah. It's a difficult yeah. question because um, you can look. I mean, we have we have an open market in Europe where yeah. lots of us can go and buy whiskey anywhere, and you can, you can tell that it is cheaper in other countries, which is kind of depressing. You know, 
yeah. for us in Ireland. Um, it, it breaks our hearts. <laughs> I know. You know, having to spend 15, 20 quid more on a bottle of whiskey that is available in, you know, Germany or Poland or Italy, you know, a lot less. It's, uh, it does break up my heart. And um, I'm hoping that will change. Um, in terms of uh, competitiveness against other countries, I think, yeah, I think it's there. I mean, there, there are some silly prices out there, um, which is down to that whole, you have a kind of weird circular economy going on with the, the aged whiskies in Ireland where they're not getting to the consumer through the regular sort of chain of supply. So we have casks changing hands uh, multiple times before they get to the customer because everyone is clamoring for 18-year-old single malt whiskey. Yeah. You know, or, or any any whiskey with age, and the people who who have the casks are, are realizing, look, I can charge more for this. So um, that's an unfortunate side effect of of the supply and demand situation at the moment. And uh, I think it's kind of important to realize that that's fleeting. It's not going to last forever. Um, you know, once we have all these new distilleries online, we're going to see um, a more competitive market in Ireland for Irish consumers, which is a great thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I very much think I agree that we're at the beginning really of the journey in terms of, you know, the big players have, have led the way and they've been vital in the success of Irish whiskey. But, you know, in terms of keeping prices and, and, and opening up the market and having more variety, uh, I guess all these new distilleries will play their role. And maybe five to 10 years down the road, we'll start seeing price normalization and, um, you know, more variety as well. What, what do you think sparked the success of Irish whiskey? Why do you think it came about? Uh, the modern success of Irish whiskey? Yeah, uh, the modern success. Well, I mean, you have to give Jameson and Middleton credit for, for you know, because they really opened all the doors to other Irish whiskey brands. Um, but there's a definite uh, spirit of adventure, if you pardon the pun, <laughs> amongst, yeah. uh, amongst the new breed of Irish whiskey makers. And um, that's the exciting thing where there's this cross-pollination of ideas and, even, you know, people come out with ideas and Irish distillers themselves are, are sort of saying, oh, yeah, we could do that as well, you know, when yeah. it comes to different wood types and things. Um, but, yeah, maybe the regulations are are a trump card for Ireland as well, that we do have open regulations and ways to create whiskies with a broader spectrum of flavours than other. Well, when I say other countries, I'm kind of thinking about Scotland really because that's our, our main sort of competitor. Yeah. I mean, you do see a lot of development happening across the world. You know, there are countries, you mentioned Scandinavia there, they're coming up with some interesting ones, Australia, yeah. lots happening in the States. But I suppose pot still is our own, if you like, that, you know, synonymous with Ireland and, you know, mm -hmm. protected under the GI. So getting that message out about pot still. But we're starting to see a lot more. I notice now where we're seeing a lot more peated whiskies as well. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, obviously from Scotland, so I, I love the peated stuff and it's, it's great to see it. Uh, coming along, and uh, I, I was speaking to our chasco recently, and uh, we, we came up with a, a good sort of point on peated Irish whiskey in that hardly any of the, the malt used for those whiskies comes from Ireland. Uh, yes, it's all in, from Scotland, and it's peated with Scottish peat. Uh, wouldn't it be really interesting to have peat sourced from different places around Ireland 
used to malt different batches yeah. of barley. And uh, I'd really like to see a distiller do something with that. Um, because, you know, I think that's starting to happen. I mean, uh, I know there's a, a few, now they are very small maltsters, but uh, yeah. I think the craft malting company have done the small batches of uh, yeah. peated malt. And I think uh, Sleeve League, are, all they're going to be doing is peated, and they're going to be sourcing peated malt from various places around the country. So that'll be interesting to see down the road. Yeah. Yeah. How different it will be. have this geographical variation, yeah, where if people are using peat from Connemara and comparing it to peat from the Midlands, you know, and seeing what the the different flora flora in that peat, um, what it's doing to the actual uh, taste of the the barley at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they've, I've seen experimentation, I think Cologne did some experimentation with that. With yeah. using, uh, but um, I think, well, look, I'm sure a lot of them will start doing it and it'll be, it'll be very interesting as well. And I suppose we could do heated pots still will be an interesting yeah. one to see. Uh, I think well, there are um, in a couple already. Uh, Tuning have done that, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, Triple just still heated at least anyway. But, um, yeah. yeah. Interesting time. <laughs> what other trends are you seeing? In whiskey? Yeah. Well, um, Things like, you know, the, the new Ronco, which is <laughs> an outrageous whiskey. I don't know if you tried that, the Sugi, Sugi wood. Oh, uh, yeah, the Japanese uh, wood, yeah. It is the most outrageous thing ever, um, in, both in terms of how it's matured and, and the flavor. Um, and I think we are going to see more extremes in Irish whiskey in terms of flavor. Um, yeah. You know, when you look back 15 years ago, it was, it was very safe. You had Connemara as an outlier. But in the main, all these whiskeys being made were, they were good, but there was, there's no real sort of mad experiments going on. And, uh, uh, um, so there's that. And then obviously the grain, grain, uh, thing where we're starting to use different mash bills. And, um, I was going to say I haven't tried the method in madness, but that really gets me excited. Um, I know Teeling have also done something similar, uh, with a high, you know, very high ripe content. Um, yeah. Mash bill. Well, you'll be glad to know there's a, a method of madness coming your direction for the uh, tasting of the next issue, and there's a few oddities there. You there go. As I will well. get to try it. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, look, I mean, yeah. you get to try so many. Um, do you have a particular uh, approach to tasting? Is there a method, or is it just built up over over years of trying different ones, or do you have a methodology uh, for going and doing it? It would it would depend on on who it's for and uh, what what's what's the occasion for tasting a whiskey as much as anything. So if I'm going through the Celtic cask um, samples for Ali um, yeah. of stuff we have during, I'm I'm looking for um, obviously the positives, but I'm also looking for the negatives, and I'm I'm kind of looking for especially for the younger whiskies to yeah. to find out if if the if they're too harsh, if they're not ready yet, if they're out of balance, then it's a question of leaving them and, and waiting for them to, to uh, get a bit more polished and uh, uh, rounded, really. And uh, that that's kind of what I'm looking for in the, the Celtic Cast Whiskies, is that a sort of polished, rounded style where the, the wood and the spirit are in, in sort of nice sort of harmony together. Um, and especially when you're looking at finishes, you know, um, keeping an eye on, on what the finishes are doing for the whiskey and Make sure they're not getting, or you're not ending up with uh, something that tastes more like sherry whiskey. Uh, yes. 
I mean, for yourself, for the for the whiskey magazine, I I'm looking for the positive all the time. So even if it's something that I'm not hugely impressed by, I'm always looking for something good to say about it. Um, yeah. Not that I'm going to say a bad whiskey is excellent, but I might say fair play to the people bottling this for giving it a try or uh, nice to see someone trying this cask and seeing what it does to the whiskey. Um, yeah, so I'm always yeah. kind of looking for, for something positive to say. Are there any uh, of the ones, uh, and it must be close to 100 now at this age, but um, of the ones you have tried, I suppose, recently, of the new genre, what are the ones that stand out for you? Or Irish Whiskey Magazine, um, Blue well, Spot. Well, in general, I guess, it's for Irish. Yeah, Blue Spot was lovely. I'm sorry, I can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was very good. I mean, some of our uh, Celtic casts are obviously um, very good. I think it was Celtic Cast 31 that was um, all Bushmill stock. And right. that really blew me away. Um, Bushmill's Causeway collection was just. Great to see. It really put a smile on my face. All, all the um, the whiskey, but in particular the, the Moscatel one, I really enjoyed. And yes. I'm just have, so happy to see them released because we all, we've all been waiting years yeah. for for interesting stuff from Bushmills, knowing that it's there in the warehouse. And um, it was it was great to, to, to see them come out. Um, and apparently the, the next batch of Causeway Collection are, are due in soon, so look out for them. Tomorrow, I believe, they're going to be announced. That would be Salt, interesting. Yeah. And I think there's 12 yeah. from what I from what I gather, so I'll find out more tomorrow. There's a big yeah. uh, reveal on tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, so, of course, like, I mean, the Celtic Whiskey Shop has evolved. Um, so, primarily, I suppose the differences are when you've gone online, and mm. that must be a large portion of the businesses, especially with covid yeah, that side of it really exploded uh, in the last... I mean, it was always a, a big part of the business and we could have looked at the business in, in a sort of three-tier way uh, before COVID where it was equally online, wholesale and retail. Um, yeah. And you could split it up quite nicely into three di- different sides, uh, equally sized packages. But um, obviously retail took a hit during COVID, but um, online retail actually took up the slack and some more so we, we actually gained customers online and really? um, I think people's change obviously people's spending habits changed anyway and they, they did become more comfortable shopping online and, and coming back to buy stuff uh, online so um, I think it's a, it's a permanent change and all the whiskey retailers who, who are selling online will see that you know um, it'll be a big thing for them from now on, really. Yeah, and you're you're heavily involved. I mean, you you pretty much flipped now from being a sales assistant in person to being very much creating the online content, uh, maintaining the website. Yeah. I would say, and, yeah, I would say it's all me because there's, there's a good team of us. There's um, uh, four of us soon to be five of us all working on on the website content on the digital uh, side. I, yeah. yeah, and it's not just the Celtic Whiskey Shop anymore. We have Irish Drink Store and also Craft Beers Delivered. Uh, so there's, there's a lot, a lot yeah. more online content. And they, they were basically new shops that sprung up during COVID uh, yeah. because of the way people were changing their uh, drinking habits, drinking more beer at home, and they were making cocktails at home. So it was like, there's a website for 
people making cocktails and the people uh, once we're people drinking beer at home. We also saw our own cast sales as well on the website take off big time. Um, yes. And that was, that yes. was another thing through the college. Um, maybe people who <laughs> managed to save a bit of money during the pandemic by not going out uh, are now actually starting to buy whiskey casts. So, uh, yeah, that's that's that. And another big uh, side of the business now, um, working essentially like a broker for, for barrels and casts for people. At the moment, most of it's coming from Great Northern, but I, 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 I suspect there are other distilleries that will be making their way to you as well. Yeah, I mean, the Great Northern stuff is, is great and it's, it's really good to have it. And um, we, we managed at the same time as, as sort of talking to them to saw some amazing Marsala cast um, that just blew me away in terms of the quality of them. Uh, so that's, that's really why we have Great Northern uh, in such quantity because they're able to fill the barrels as soon as we send them there. Other people aren't really in, in that situation. Um, what you will obviously see, depending on you know who we can get them from, because yeah, you know sometimes you have to beg beg for them. I think people no. beg. You know? Well, getting good cast is if uh, Conor O'Hare there. He's uh, putting in a good word for the shop and just said the. Uh, very helpful staff and a world class selection, which is, which is without doubt true. Yeah. Good evening, Lisa. Uh, so Lisa Ryan. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure you stock the busker as well. Busker, of yeah. course we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you know what? I've uh, I've tried very few them, but I, I've been kind of um, interested in and sort of seeing how how the spirit is progressing. Yeah. Uh, uh, there may be one of those going your way as well for next issue. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't mention anything very expensive and it might go your way. That's not... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, like Christmas box full of whiskey samples. Sorry, the other change that, of course, in the Celtic Whisk Shop and, and in what you do is you, you played a, a big role in the uh, auction site, Celtic Whiskey Auctions, and in the... Yeah. Uh, Development of the new store down in Killarney, the, the Celtic Whiskey Experience. Yeah, um, yeah, the auction has been a, a bit of a sort of difficult thing to get going, and I think anyone who starts uh, a whiskey auction probably quite quickly realised the enormity of the task behind it. Uh, yeah. You think uh, there's not much work, but uh, I have great respect for any any of the people running uh, whiskey auction sites uh, because there is so much work um whether it's just the interaction between the customers with emails uh, or the actual getting the items on the website and taking the photographs and uh oh i can imagine putting descriptions like in and yeah and everything no. has to be done with it in a fi finite amount of time you know you, you have a deadline to work to um Fortunately, that's not my job anymore. But um, all right, okay. It was certainly an interest. It was an interesting side of, of the job to do, and um, the site's working really well now. So it's great to see that we've got a, a new platform, um, which is a lot more um, controllable in terms of site traffic and, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's uh, it's there to stay now, and it's going to work a lot better for for everyone, and including us, which is a, a relief. You do ship internationally yeah. everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously it's changing all the time. So we, it's something we have to really keep an eye on uh, in terms of what countries we can send to and, and what we can't. And 
Brexit's kind of thrown some spanners in the works sure. with that as well. Um, and it's, it's a question of finding the right um, courier and also companies to work with. And uh, it's tricky. It's really tricky. And it, uh, in a lot of uh, situations, it's a kind of gray area, which is... Uh, That's no, the hardest. <laughs> yeah. And there's no real kind of set law over over some countries. So we can say to some people, we can send to you, but uh, this scenario might happen, scenario X, scenario Y might happen, but we're happy to send it to you. And uh, so it, yeah. it's kind of frustrating for a lot of people because it, it can be a, ga- a gamble for some countries. But uh, I mean, fortunately for you, in a place like the United States and Europe, um, it's working well at the moment. Um, oh, the whiskey experience, yeah. Um, in Killarney, uh, I mean, if, if anyone hasn't been to the park, it's just uh, the most incredible place for a whiskey drinker. And uh, it's back up open now. I don't think they're doing any of the, the actual whiskey experience stuff um, as such, but you can go in there and try um, an astounding array of, of different whiskeys from around the world. Uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm afraid to go down again because... Uh, yeah, me too. You know, yeah, you know, it would just be the wallet would have to be left behind or something. But uh, Liam Sinclair yeah. there uh, from Urban Bar Drinks is uh, planning on going down to visit, and uh, he's coming over for a few days now, the beginning of the month. That's so, but I just buy the avatar as well. <laughs> yes, yes, that's Liam. That shop must have been really on its knees, I suppose, during the COVID. Was it a really dangerous period for that? For the the bar. Yeah. Um, I think I think like we have to kind of thank the government, the Irish government, for um, their support for for businesses, you know, during all because um, I, I think a lot of bars suffered definitely, um, but there was support from the, the government, and uh, yeah, it's tough, tough uh, for staff. Yeah, uh, have you managed to retain? Uh, and I think most of your staff, staff there either. Some of them, but no, some of them, some of them are gone, and, and that's the same situation with a lot of bars where valued staff members who had to be laid off have now actually moved on to other things, you know, because they yeah. were sitting around waiting for something to happen, and it's it's not their fault, it's not our fault, but um, yeah. yeah, that's just the way it worked out. I mean, that's going to be the single biggest challenge, I'm sure, for all the pub trades is getting staff again. Yeah. I'd say so, and uh, you could imagine some of the existing staff getting frustrated if they're if they're overstressed and they're overworked. You know, behind a busy yeah. bar with not enough you know people. I, I haven't actually been to a proper pub uh, since restrictions were were lifted, but I can imagine some places being really busy and the staff not being able to cope. Um, yeah, it's a bit more relaxed in Killarney, so um, don't don't hold back and going in there. Go there. And yeah, well, I mean, it, and order, some, order some nice beer and whiskey. Yeah, well, I'd like to think, I mean, obviously, you lost a lot of the international tourism side of things, but hopefully, you got a lot of uh, Irish tourism going down yeah. and supporting the business, which is great. That's yeah. that's where we've been at this summer, really, isn't it? With uh, people actually discovering Ireland again. Yeah, good, I think it, that's fun. not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, the. The um, Celtic casks that you mentioned, I don't know what number you're up to now. Uh, what number are they at? Uh, your Celtic uh, cask offering? Uh, let me Google that. <laughs> I, think it's 35, I think it's 35, but we are probably releasing more 
Uh, I think at the moment thinking is uh, early next year. Um, we'll do the next right. ones, but um, I think it's thirty five. Um, we're at, and I mean it's just been an, an amazing range of whiskies to work with because it's it's kind of changed with Irish whiskey as the sort of revolution has happened, and you know uh, things like our first Great Northern Cask. Um, Celtic cask whiskey, um, where we are sort of almost eating them and having a whiskey released at four years old as a single cask and thinking, are, are people going to buy this? Well, I yeah. hope so because it's really good, you know, really yeah. good whiskey. Uh, and yeah, they, they kind of we're seeing obviously a lot of these distilleries that we, we've been maturing casks from that are, are new distilleries that are, are likely to appear. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's, uh, very interesting project to be in and also to see and learn about the, the different cast types of use because um, most of the casks we do use are from our wine suppliers so we have a nice okay. connection to them in the same ways that the old whiskey merchants would have you know um, people like Gilby's and Mitchell's back in the day when they would have their own wine and sherry suppliers and using them for, for their whiskey so um, it's a nice almost like a nice tradition to, to be involved in and uh, keep that going. Um, and it's great to see the reaction from some of the winemakers who have had their, their barrels used uh, for whiskey and, and see what they think. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a massive range, a huge diversity, and a lot of innovation in all those, uh, in all those casks. And if I'm not wrong, you probably were one of the first to be going out doing your own branded. Yeah, bottlings. I think we, I think we were, um, and in the early days, we, we really had to beg for them. And uh, the first single cask we did were kind of semi-official bottling. So it might be like, you know, a, a, a Turcano single cask. We did a lot of really good Turcano single casks and some, some Bushmill yeah. single casks um, when when the company were before that first takeover in the early 2000s, before Bushmills right. bought out. Uh, yeah, so they, they were the first single cast we did, and uh, mostly we had quite a lot of control over. We actually, you know, got to sample, sample the barrels and, and decide um, yeah. which one we could release and, and which ones we didn't want. Um, but it was a Don Cashman who worked in, in Cooley at the time who, who kind of really helped us get get the ball rolling because we did some Turcano uh, single yeah. malt into Anna Negro red wine casks, and uh, the response we got. But for them, kind of made us realize we were onto something. So that's really how Celtic Cast started with um, the success of those ones. And uh, I mean, all the stuff in the early days was from Cooley, because um, that's all there was <laughs> available yeah. uh, for Celtic Cast whiskeys. Um, that, that was brought significantly, you know. Somewhere I have a bottle of a Hain, the first one. Oh, yeah. But there's not much of it left. Yeah. There's not much of it left, but uh, yeah, I just I should have held on to it. I think probably I'm sure it's gone up in value quite a lot. But uh, look, it was uh, an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, you, so. you can't worry about those things. Yeah, no, no. You otherwise, I'd be in tears. Of course, one of the big things that Celtic Whiskey Shop are involved in is uh, the uh, Whiskey Live and the Irish Whiskey Awards, and of course, they've been badly yeah. affected by the the COVID situation. Um, but the awards yeah. have been rescheduled for when? Is it November? Um, I think it's the I think it's the eleventh of November where um provisionally uh 
Oh, not provisionally, but we're, we're going ahead with them uh, in Powers Court story um, yeah. this year. And the uh, the winners have been chosen by a very dedicated <laughs> crowd of uh, whiskey enthusiasts all around the country. Uh, which uh, the, the whiskey awards are, are the most amazing experience to see the scores come in and, and see how people have voted and and to because I, I kind of usually it's me who's compiling all the, the results so I'm looking at a spreadsheet and I'm entering manually the the, the scores and uh, to see how it all swings around and, uh, and it might just hang on a couple of individual scores uh, where the where yeah. results uh, go so it's incredible I mean it must have been hundreds um, yeah I think it was it was probably about uh, over a hundred judges, because not every judge got to do every category. So yes. if, you, if you're chasing every category, you'd be drinking uh, yeah. probably a hundred or more whiskeys. Um, but uh, yeah, every judge got to, got to do a good uh, 30 or so, I think, uh, yeah. or more, maybe 40. Um, and the rest, yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, I have to say, I really want to commend you. And I think uh, all those that got to try them and be judges are... Uh, very thankful and very grateful. Phenomenal work that must have gone into organizing that. I mean, yeah. I can imagine logistically. Wow. That's, that's thanks to the, the team I work with, um, namely, and uh, Julie. Julie has left the company now, but she was uh, heavily involved in the, the Whiskey Awards yeah. this year before she left. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's down to them. Um, I thought doing it really amazing job on it all during sort of a hard hard time um, yeah. with COVID and everything. Um, but I, I think at the time when the Irish Whiskey Awards came about, there, there wasn't really anything like that in Ireland. And it, it, I think it was needed. You know, there are other awards around there now, but I like to think it's the, it's the most impartial. It's, it's the most, um, uh, what's the word? Um, well, it's public no as well. Yeah. yeah, there's no guarantee... Entering the Irish Whiskey Awards is going to give you a prize. There are other competitions where you can enter a whiskey, pay your entry fee, and you're going to get some kind of award. Uh, yeah. With the Irish Whiskey Awards, it's all done blind. It's all tasted by a, a, a very diverse mix of people, some in the industry, some just really enthusiastic. So you're getting a really, really broad section of, of judges who, um, who are awarding points to whiskeys on on their own nets, you know, the, the whiskies that they're actually enjoying uh, themselves. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a very important award to have. Um, but having said that, I'm amazed that all the cream always rises to the top in, in all the different categories. And you can, have, you can see, like, oh, um, in certain, you know, you'll have whiskies that win two, three years in a row. And uh, it's just like, well, that's amazing. That means... They actually are the best in that category because different judges in different years have given them the same marks. So, yeah. 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 I'm always surprised uh, sometimes at the award where, you know, the fact that it's blind really is a great leveler because, you know, you hear people commenting on certain whiskies and maybe not in the most favorable light. And then they rise to the top continuously year after year. So, yeah. I think that's a testament uh, to, you know, the impartiality that takes place in this. Yeah, I, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to try some some people on on more blind tasting, and you know, get get them to tell me what their favorite whiskey is, and put their favorite whiskey in amongst the flight of uh, 
other excellent whiskies and, and see if they can pick it out and uh, see if they're actually giving the best award to, to their favorite whiskey. Because there are a lot of people that say, you know, whiskey X is better than whiskey Y. And when you look at the awards, it's yeah, the opposite. Matter. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, look, I could even be guilty of that myself. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, you do have these sometimes built-in <laughs> yeah. biases. Well, I would get attached to things, you know, like even just the emotion of an experience of, of tasting something in a special situation can make it better for you. So, you know, you always have a soft spot for a whiskey, no matter what, because of the experience you had tasting it before. Uh, I want to put in a plug, if I may, as well, for um, for Celtic Whiskey in terms of the support and the charity fundraising they do. Uh, I know um, the Down Syndrome Dublin and, Dublin and Ireland are, are huge beneficiaries of uh, the charity work that Celtic Whiskey Shop and Ali who yeah. really uh, give to. And I know the 21C, which is the kind of a blend of, from all the different uh, active distilleries, and then also... A large amount of money is raised, yeah. you know, both for the, from the awards and also from the uh, Whiskey Live. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's another charity called Mary's Meals that I was oh, yes. involved in. <laughs> and it's up, yeah, it's all down to Ali. <laughs> it's like, it's, um, it's his charitable nature, you know. Um, but I mean, it's, it's great to use these events to raise money for, for charities and everyone in the industry gets on board with it as well. So um, you never get any any questions from anyone asking, you know, if you're asking them for a free five-liter <laughs> drum of yes. whiskey to put into 21C or if you're asking them for, you know, a donation um, and those kind of things that they're all very generous. So um, it's great to see everyone on board for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I hope that continues. It's a really great cause, yeah. both of them. And, uh, you know, even if it only gets people talking about the subjects as well, that's a, that's a win. Exactly. But, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, it just raises awareness as well for people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know Ali has been, and the Celtic Wizards, they've all been very supportive of uh, the Irish distillers, you know, so... All the new brands, whether they're small or large, whether they're glass makers or publishing a magazine or bringing out mead or gin, you know, they all find their way into a Celtic whiskey shop in some form or another. I think that's it. That's important. That's because they they usually come. It's because they usually come to us first anyway. You know, when when they have something to bring out, they come to us and a lot of the time they'll ask us, what do we think? And uh, yeah, 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 that's great. Let's let's sell it. but um, yeah, obviously, we'd, we'd always support any Irish producers of, of spirits and uh, the more diverse or exciting, the better, really. You know. uh, with Whiskey Live, then, that's set for March, early March next year. New venue. Yeah. Um, so it's not happening this year, but this year we do have an online event called um, Whiskey Fest, uh, right. which yes. is on in November, um, to get... People in into the mood for for whiskey live. Um, so on on our website, you will find um, a tab with tastings and Celtic Whiskey Fest is on there. And we'll be announcing a whole bunch of exciting online events. Uh, there's some already announced, um, and some have already sold out. But there's more coming in the next um, days and weeks. Um, so look out for, for more of them. Uh, to find out all. Is that uh, open to people internationally as well, or is it just uh, limited to Ireland? 
in the main it is yeah uh, international uh, yeah yeah so um, and they're going to be really nice really nice packs for people as well so really nice uh, miniature bottles and, and things thrown in there to, to make the experience a bit nicer yeah and you'll have guests guest speakers I guess yeah I think I might actually be doing I might actually be doing one of them myself uh, which hasn't been announced yet but yeah I mean it's it's everything it's not just Irish whiskey it's everything right across the board so um, you would speak to me about Heaven's Door earlier on it was a Heaven's Door um, yes tasting uh, in amongst that so people who maybe haven't opened their uh, Red Breast Finish Heaven's Door can uh, try it in the tasting pack well look again congratulations on that I mean I ordered the Heaven's Door last Friday morning nine o'clock when it, <laughs> when it opened up and uh, arrived 7 p.m. Friday evening. Yeah. So same day delivery. Great. I was pretty impressed. I wasn't expecting it. Doesn't, doesn't always work like that, but it's great when it does. Yeah. And I think it's 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 great that I mean, you offer such a variety. You know, if somebody goes, I've often gone in there looking for one thing in particular and walked out with the complete opposite of what mm. I wanted, you know. But uh, should try working there. <laughs> oh, but, uh, no, it'd yeah. be useless. I think it'd be used. But you, you must have learned so much from the just the hands-on approach. But you, you've also done the uh, internet brewing and distilling, Velma. Yeah. Did you do that? Um, why? Over the well, I'd already done the genus. I was always thinking to myself, I diploma, and it'd be great to to do the diploma because it's, it's a lot more uh, delving into the real sort of uh, finer details of of distilling. Um, but it's a three-year course, and um, anyone can do it. So if anyone's interested in distilling, whether it's for a career or just uh, for, for learning about whiskey, it's a great thing to do. Um, but you probably have to do the general certificate first. Um, but yeah, completely that. I haven't got my result yet, but um, in the next few weeks, I'll find out. Um, last year was the last year of the course. is intense. It's, it's really... Yeah. Uh, it's really out there in terms of what you're learning about and uh, it goes above and beyond just learning about making whiskey. It's about yeah. you know, um, compressed air and wastewater treatment and all those kind of exciting things that you yeah. never really think about. You know, you don't go you don't go and visit a distillery and you don't get a tour of the um, you know the, the air compressor treatment pod. <laughs> yeah. I was like, here's yeah. that air compressor. And it's like, here's the, the, the dryer and the cleaner and all these other parts of it. And it's like, no, you don't get to see that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know where you in, find in the time to do it. A, a distillery. Yeah. I mean, is there a uh, lot of time that well, you put in? I am part-time at work. Right, okay. Yeah, I took okay. a week off for, for my, my final exam, and that wasn't really enough, even though that whole week of studying, probably 12 hours a day, it wasn't enough. Um, but I got it done, yeah. And it's a very practical qualification. Yeah, for those is, yeah. I mean, it's... Um, it's basically everything you need to, to know uh, without having the experience of yeah. which obviously the experience actually works. Um, to you know, I'd say you could learn how to operate a distillery perfectly fine by working in a distillery for a year, yeah. but you might not know what's behind everything that's going on. You yes. know the, the actual workings of it, and in a way. Me doing the diploma is the opposite of that. It's like I know how everything works, uh, but I wouldn't be able to walk into a distillery and, and start making whiskey on my own 
because I yeah. wouldn't know what valves to turn or, you know, what temperatures to strike the mash at and things like that. Uh, but, um, but the blending side of it would have helped, wouldn't it? The, the, the element where you had the Celtic casks, that would all well, actually, be invaluable. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that had a huge bearing on it, but it actually was the, the reverse in that um, learning about uh, cask preparation and uh, manipulation uh, mm-hmm. diploma has, has given me more a more understanding of of what is actually going on uh, within the whiskey whilst maturing and mm-hmm. and how some of that can be improved, um, especially going forward when when you're looking at reusing casks because like. Pretty much everything we use for whiskey casks is a fresh cask, but we don't want to throw them away. So it's like, well, uh, how can we most out of them when we reuse them again? Um, it's a bit more about stuff like that and diploma, you know, which is very handy. Yeah. I'm just going back to Whiskey Live. Is it going to be bigger than last time, or what's the thinking behind the new venue? Yeah, it should be. It's in the RDS now, so there's, there's more space. It's bigger, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think uh, there were there were a, a few different uh, things other than that. Um, the the print works where we had it before wasn't available for a whiskey event again uh, for various reasons. And I think there were maybe some some politics behind the scene within Dublin Council or or, or whatever. But um, the RDS is a good fit, and it's it's a, it's a Bigger venue, we can get more people in and make it a bigger experience for everyone. So, would it be two uh, days it, again? Gonna, uh, two days, and I think the Friday evening as well. I, I might be wrong in that right. because it's it's not something I'm at this stage involved in. I'm not at the in the sort of development uh, sort of side of it at the moment, but I'll be, obviously be working on it uh, closer to the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what are the bits you what are the bits you you're working on on a daily basis now? Is it getting in new stock, provisioning, looking after the website, or making movies? <laughs> I know you were involved in uh, creating one of the a few of the videos for the experience. Yeah, that was that was a great experience. Unfortunately, I haven't really had a um, chance to do anything more more like that. We made a film, and <laughs> it was like it was a, a dream job in a way, but. It was it was actually really uh, stressful and, and hard work because I I had no uh, experience in that, but I I had through my sort of musical endeavors uh, met people who were very good at making videos and uh, music uh, related uh, films, and yeah. we went around the country and, and made made a. Uh, a film on Irish whiskey at the time, which was a kind of snapshot of what was going on in 2015 or 2016, I think it was. So in a, in a way, it's it's out of date. It's 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 not relevant anymore. But it was, it was a great experience, and it was it was a really good film. Uh, you might still use some of it down in Killarney for the. I think I had seen one of them when I went down to on, the experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the one on production and history, uh, I think, is, is still probably relevant. But we did one on the future of Irish whiskey, where we were visiting distilleries that were halfway through the build stage, and now they're fully functioning distilleries who've released their own spirits. And so, um, it would it'd be amazing to go back and, and revisit again. But I don't know that happened. It's uh, such a big project. I don't think it's going to be possible. Yeah. No, I, I saw the production one, and that was. <laughs> 
the production one I thought is definitely still relevant and very interesting. And uh, you mentioned you touched on there um, the the movies, but you also have embarked on a few podcasts of your own with the Healthy Whiskey Pod. Uh, are they continuing? Are we going to see more of yeah. them? Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's one uh, that actually went live today. Uh, Alex Chasco uh, and some some great ones in there that we kind of try to talk to as many people who are maybe not the, the people that you'd normally get on a podcast about whiskey and, and spirits. So we're, we're trying not to just do whiskey. We're trying to do anything in this sort of spirit um, with uh, sort of production side of things. It can be quite hard to get hold of people sometimes. Uh, some people are quite elusive. And you know, yes. they say, come on, we'll do this next week. And they're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm in production next week. It's like, okay, I'll go the week after that. It's like, I'm on holiday. And yeah, just in them uh, nailed down to to dates because yeah. I, I usually have about five or six people uh, who I'm talking to um, All right, but okay. getting them to actually commit you know talking to uh, with a view to actually do a podcast with them but getting them to nail down the time is, is quite hard um, yes. but it's, it's very good and I learned a lot through it you know on uh, speaking to people like Frank McCarty who used to run Bushnells and Springbank that was yeah that was a big one that to have him, and yeah, that's such an interesting guy, you know, but uh, this amazing knowledge, but it was all learned on the job. It, he never, you know, went to distilling school or anything. He just learned everything hands-on and through experience of, of learning from other people. Um, yeah, and and then I ended up speaking to other people on the podcast who had worked under Frank. All right, okay. Much everything I knew, you know. Uh, so it's good to see that sort of side of things where people... The continuation of knowledge is is going on, you know. Yeah, it's definitely a huge interest. Uh, you know, it's only growing uh, as far as I can see in terms of you know the interest people have and what's going on. You, you mentioned there that you well, I know that you are a pretty accomplished musician, uh, primarily drums. Although I do think you play keyboards and guitar. Yeah, is that on hold at the moment, uh, or are you still doing a bit of that? It's over. I'm retired. <laughs> You're <laughs> done. Uh, no, I, I was in a band called The Galaxy and we did well and we played you know, festivals all around the world and uh, released three albums um, and we had the record contracts, but then we didn't have the record contracts and we had publishing and all this kind of stuff. And for a while, it was, it was great fun, but it wasn't an overnight success. I spent all my time since I was in my teens trying to gain any sort of success in the music industry and um, it finally happened on a, on a kind of small scale but it was a very, very nice experience but um, we all got burned out by it we, we, everyone in the band was just done like uh, finished yeah. <laughs> um, when did that play show I joined playing music that was 2019 um, only like I think three months before COVID hit so yeah. I think it would, it would have finished up anyway and it seems like it already seems like a lifetime away but um, it, it would have been over when COVID hit anyway because our bread and butter was really live gigs um, yeah. is what brought in, brought in the most money and it was the most fun as well you know playing Would you go back at, to it? I don't think so no um, I, would, I would make more music um, but in terms of making it to to tour the world and have record contracts and things like that. No, I, I wouldn't go back to it. It's 
it's a kind of bittersweet experience in that, you know, it, there's some great things that happen, but it's also hugely frustrating and uh, right. incredible hard work and for very little reward sometimes. It's not all it's, glamour like it's made up to be, no? It's it's kind of weird. You have like 10% glamour and then 90% absolute yeah. <laughs> shit, you know? Sure. And yeah, like most bands only have uh, 1% glamour, you know, and uh, they spend, it's, it's the, the most crazy thing to do. Try, try and make a career in music is just insane. But I applaud anyone who tries to do it because uh, it's so difficult. You know, if you want to make it a career, it's it's intent, immensely difficult to, to have success on a commercial scale. Now, there are other ways of measuring success. Um, yes. You know, people making amazing music but it's not getting listened to you know that success yeah. Yeah. well I, i've noticed uh, we have a couple of musicians on here on, on the show people that are big into their music um, yeah and uh, yeah it, it's a difficult game it's Mark McLaughlin, we had him on he, he plays music yeah yeah well i've seen him play whiskey music together yeah 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 well one of the things i want to do is uh, you have a very significant milestone um a couple of weeks ago and I saw a few photos of that. So, firstly, congratulations uh, on finally, after how long, uh, I don't know, getting married. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I think I had to figure out what you were talking about. Uh, no. yeah, I had a classic lockdown wedding in uh, in June, or post-lockdown wedding, um, with 25 guests. And it was it was incredible. Yeah, it was really good. So, so thanks, Serge. It was a yeah, really, really good congratulations. day. It was a lot. A long time coming. I'm not going to say how long, but uh, you know, we've been together a long time, and uh, it was it was more of a uh, affirmation and uh, sort of um, sealing sealing the deal, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine after so long, you probably hasn't been life changing or changing. No, it hasn't. But it, it was an amazing day, but it's it, it wasn't life changing uh, in terms of things being different afterwards. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I find it hard to, to appreciate how you managed to put so much in because you, you did the music, you, you did the course, you, you do the store, you do a lot of the online stuff, you do the podcasting. And the reason you're over in Athens, of course, now is you like to partake in marathons. And I'll, I'll clarify that in a minute uh, for, for relaxation or yeah. fun. So you partake in <laughs> super marathons. Tell us a little bit about what a super marathon is first, and uh, ultra, ultra marathons. Ultra marathons is what they call them, is it? And it's it's anything uh, beyond a marathon. So I, I did a, an ultra marathon in early September that was forty four kilometers, which is only two kilometers more than a marathon. But it's a lot to call itself uh, an yeah. ultra marathon. But I'm, I'm here in Greece to run. Uh, Probably the most historic one in the world called Spartathlon. And it's uh, a homage in a way to the, the voyage of Philippides who ran from Athens to Sparta um, to try and get the Spartans to, to join in fighting the Persians, I think it was. Um, so this legend by Herodotus was that he ran the 246 kilometers from Athens to Sparta in a day. Or rather, he, he left at dawn and was there before dusk the following day, so 36 hours. And yeah. the aim of Spartathlon for most people is to finish that 
the length of the course within 36 hours is uh, very strict um, cut-off points. So you have to be at different checkpoints within a certain time frame. Otherwise, you're kicked off and you get put on a thing called death bus and uh, oh. driven to, to Sparta. Um, but the, the winning times are usually a lot faster than 36 hours, so kind of 22 to 24 hours, that sort of time, uh, with, with the race. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's an amazing event. There's people from all over the world, and it's like uh, a music festival, like Glastonbury for ultra runners, and it's what people aim to go to. It's what they sort of aim to, to take part in. So I can't imagine there's 40,000 ultra runners in the world, are there? <laughs> I think it's a, a very limited... They probably are. They probably are. Um, and I don't know how many people apply for Spartak in a year, but being multiple thousands that actually... Mm tried to do it and they let in 350 this year um this is your third time doing it now this one or your fourth third time yeah third time um first year i finished 10th which was in 2018 and there was a hurricane uh full-on hurricane not just a a thing called a hurricane by some people it was a category whatever hurricane and um yeah, that was an interesting experience. Most of the people dropped out that year through hypothermia or something called related. I would have thought if, if the hurricane's behind you back all the way, it would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, you would think so. And uh, I was just swirling around, so the wind, wind was changing direction all the time. Uh, yeah. 2019, I did it, and it was really hot. The, the temperatures were like in the high 30s. Um, I think it hit 36, 37, something like that. And yeah. I came fourth that year, which was an incredible... Uh, result for me. Yeah. <laughs> for no, me incredible r- r- uh, results, full stop. Yeah, um, so that's why I'm back this year to to see what. Well, there's a photo of you there. I, I don't know. Was that when you came forth? Yeah, that was 2019. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can see I'm kind of happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice Greek vase there. Yeah, that's got the water from the Avrotus River, which is apparently sacred. So you get to. Oh, that won't be happening this year with COVID. Uh, all those kind of traditions are, are gone. So um, you traditionally uh, run up to the statue of King Leonidas and kiss his foot. You're not allowed to do that this year. Uh, that's in an ancient Corinth, uh, past some lovely Greco-Roman ruins. But if my history is right, they're actually Roman uh, rather than uh, ancient Greek. But uh, What have the Romans ever done for us? Yeah, well, they, maybe Princeton built some things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, what? I mean, when most well, well certainly for myself, you know, I, I probably hit the wall after two hundred yards. The concept of doing o- over a hundred miles just uh, blows. Away. What kind of preparation goes into that? How much of your time does this all take up? Uh yeah, it's a lot of time and a lot of early mornings or late nights out there, and it's something you have to build up to. You can't just go out there and run a one hundred mile race. Um, yeah. At least you couldn't run it, you could maybe walk it. <laughs> no, it's something you have to build up with, uh, up to by doing marathons and then increasing the, the kind of race distance, but then also increasing your, your training runs and stuff. Um, and there are lots of different methods of doing that, lots of different ideas on training. But yeah. in essence, I would be in a typical training week, I'd be running 100 miles or so uh, within the week and split up into different sort of training sessions and, and stuff. Uh, various intensities and speeds, uh, but that's the way I do it. Some people do uh, 
a lot lower mileage, um, mm-hmm. even down to like 50 miles a week. Then other people would be doing 200 miles a week or, or, or such like. Um, but I think the sweet, sweet spot somewhere in the middle, I, I like yeah. to think. Yeah. So a marathon is like a stroll in the park for you then, is it? I've, um, yeah, I kind of, well, I wouldn't say a stroll in the park, but I've been pacer at uh, Dublin Marathon on a few occasions, which has been really good fun, where you're given a time yeah. to bring people bring people around the course in and say that guy with the silly balloon on his back is the three hour pacer so he's going to finish bang on three hours and follow him and he'll he'll finish there for you yeah so yeah i've done that a few times and it's, it's been great fun um but marathons are hard like if you want to run them fast i find them harder than than uh ultra marathons uh half marathons and marathons are just really really hard if you're running them a proper speed, you know, extra speed. Uh, it's a different kind of pain. But uh, what kind of food and dietary uh, preparation goes into all of this? Is there a lot of uh, that side of it? I, I think, I don't really think about it, but I think if you are training like like I train and if you are um, running as long as I am, then you, you gravitate towards healthier stuff in general. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think about it. I don't think, oh, this... This uh, week, I have to eat so many kilograms of broccoli, or you know, I yeah. have to have I have to have fresh kale every morning in a smoothie. I don't think like that. I, I eat what I enjoy, um, yeah. but I maybe eat less of the stuff that's not so good for me. Um, but I still eat it. I just don't uh, overindulge in it. Um, yeah, I suppose your body learns itself, and your you know your tastes gravitate to what's good for you. Yeah, I think I think we should lift bodies a bit more in that regard. Where it's like, well, sometimes you have a craving for something salty. You probably can beat that saltiness, yeah. you know, especially when you've got a hangover. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, does does drinking influence it? I, it does, but I I found again with like gravitating towards healthy food. I especially when I have a race coming up. I, I say this I'm with a glass now. in your hand. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would certainly be a lot more better behaved when I have a, a race coming up or if I'm training heavily than if I was laid off or if I wasn't doing any training. I, I, it it kind of keeps me on the straight now in a way. It kind of you know, stops me going out and sinking eight pints because yeah. I can't get up in the morning and go for that training run afterwards. Yeah. And then I'd be grumpy all day because I haven't gone for a run. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, do you find that, do you find that it, it, it is... Uh... Uh, endorphin effect on you as well I mean do you, do yeah, you need I mean, to have that yeah there's that and I mean there's a huge amount of talk about mindfulness and a lot of that is is kind of crap you know some of it is but yeah. going out for a run to clear your head is, is the best thing ever you know uh, or just going out for a run and not thinking about anything or getting all these crazy ideas on on what to do with you know work or your your life in general um all those things come to me when i'm when i'm running so yeah it's, it's kind of it's an added thing i have that gives me a bit, a bit more sort of groundedness and uh sanity i suppose yeah. uh, not really the right word but something like that yeah i imagine the dedication has to be applauded on that but um how did you get into this um, I mean, it's not you don't think, wake up one morning and suddenly think, I'm going to become an ultramarathon runner. Well, I, I initially got into it because I'd fallen off my bike on, 
on the Lewis tracks and uh, bent my knee the wrong way. And uh, after like six months of physio, I, I still wasn't getting any better. And uh, I couldn't really walk without pain. Uh, so the physio was like, well, go for a run. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? It's like, I can't, I can't barely walk in it. It's like, no, go for a run. Uh, you need to build up the, the muscle and everything there. And uh, it kind of spiraled from then on. I, I kind of went from, from being able to run two kilometers to running five kilometers and then running a five kilometer race and then running 10 kilometers and then running a 10 kilometer race and then signing up for a marathon. And uh, it's the way, way it happens for most people. Most yeah. people stop at a marathon though and they think that that's it. Um, I, I read a book by uh, a guy called Scott Jurek, and he has this book called Eat and Run, and he talks about all the famous races in the world that he's done, and the race I'm here to run this week, Spartathlon, he, he won it twice, and uh, that, it's still, like, every time I go to that chapter on Spartathlon and, and read it again, I get goosebumps, because it's like, I'm actually here running that same race that he inspired me to get into doing, and... Um, he was a guy that kind of kind of sparked something in my head and made me think, I could probably give that a try. You know, I might not get to the start line, but I, I could I could try and do it, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, because he came from an un, unremarkable background, but ended up being one of the best runners in the world. Are you, um, in your life in general, would you say you take things to that kind of level of when you do something, you have to do it to the the max, or is this just something that grabbed you? No, I, I would say um, it's given me the, the running itself has maybe made me a bit more um, philosophical and in some ways relaxed, but in other ways um, a bit more driven in, in some aspects uh, where I'm not kind of thinking about things that maybe drive you a bit mad and make you frustrated. I'm thinking about the more positive things in life and uh, yeah. how to get how to get the most out of every situation and and basically make it more enjoyable or more make it more work work for your own lifestyle um that's a bit yeah. vague but um i don't know if that makes any sense um not stressing out over the little things maybe yeah but i mean obviously you, you have to be very driven to even contemplate something like this so you know yeah that's that's the thing is if i internalize for me where um training for these races i I um I don't find it that hard to 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 have the dedication to get out on a on a winter's morning and, and run for twenty kilometers or thirty kilometers in freezing rain. Um I'd be more grumpy if I didn't do it. If I didn't go out and do it, I'd be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing what yeah, people find something uh, uh you know, it can be different things that, that keep them grounded, I suppose, or is there escape to some element as well. When is the yeah. race? It starts on Friday. Uh, Friday morning at 7 a.m. Greek time, which is 5 a.m. Irish time. Um, I don't have the info, but there's, there's live tracking for it. So every runner has a, a sort of a GPS thing attached to it. All right. Shorts and, uh, so we can keep an eye on you. You can do what they call dot watching, which is very slow process of seeing these dots move across the map very very slowly <laughs> yeah and uh see how it how it transpires um there's some great runners this year there's a guy um talis bodish who won it uh previously he's running again uh czech guy radic bruner who's been on the podium something like five times and 
a Spanish hotshot runner called Ivan. Uh, I can't remember his second name. Begins with a. Is there anybody else? Uh, anybody else from Ireland there? Yeah, there's um, three Irish runners and uh, three Filipino guys who who live in Ireland. Um, right. And then, and then me, obviously, as well. So there's Anthony Lee, Alex O'Shea, and Anne Jennings, uh, all Irish, and then Filipino guys. Um, very good. Well, look, very best of luck. Cheers. Uh, uh, I have huge admiration for where you've been able to undertake that. And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you should probably be getting some rest. I've kept you on longer than, uh, I don't know. Will you do a run this evening, or is that it? Uh, I went, went for one earlier. I just did a, a quick six-kilometer run up to the old uh, the old Olympic Village, um, which is oh, yes. right here. So uh, it was kind of a bit sad to see because it's seen better days. But uh, yeah, up that way and uh, and back uh, just to keep the legs moving. Yeah. And you were saying that after this, yeah, in three weeks' time, you have another one, the Belfast one. Yeah, it's the Irish twenty-four hour championships so you basically run around in circles for 24 hours which um would be only similar to this event in that you're running for about the same time but in terms of the mental process it's it's a completely different ball game running around in circles again and again and again you'd question the point of it but um it's if you want to see how far you can run in 24 hours um it's a pretty interesting process because people are breaking records whether it's Irish or British or world records at yeah. the moment so it'd be, it'd be amazing to see some some big performances on the day and see well I suppose we had a quick chat before you said the big thing for you is you can only control how you run I suppose and uh, yeah I can yeah. I can do my my bit but uh if someone runs faster than me then fair play to them you know yeah yeah, yeah. brilliant well look very best of luck in it uh, I think you I think yeah, I'm I'm jealous that uh, I'm jealous that you're in Athens, but I'm certainly not jealous in any shape or form of the run you're going to be doing. <laughs> but uh, yeah. maybe the celebrations afterwards will will make up for it. And I, uh, yeah. personally, I want to yeah. thank you very much for uh, helping with our magazine, for being a guest on the show, and yeah. for, for being instrumental in, along with the other staff in Celtic Whiskey, for. For piquing my interest and and knowledge, uh, and that's all the staff at Celtic Whiskey. Uh, and for you, best of luck in your married life and in the runs. Uh, Cheers. Uh, and uh, we will speak to you again when you get back. So thanks, George. It's been, it's been great talking to you. And uh, you too. I've saved some whiskey for the finish line. Uh, oh, so that's yeah, that's it. <laughs> Going to get enjoyed in Sparta, hopefully. So, well, look, cheers. yeah, stay safe and very best of luck. Thanks a million now. Well, for me, anyway, that was fascinating. I, I, I can't even get my head around uh, the dedication that it must take to do something like that. A really uh, knowledgeable and modest and uh, lovely guy, and uh, I wish all the very best of uh, luck in this and in this future career as well. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you again next week and uh, take care. Good evening.